So great to be with you guys this morning. I really, really appreciate you being here. Uh, I've discovered something about College Station, um, Brian College Station. Summertime is crazy time. I've discovered that here. We are scattered all over the place like a church. I was just doing a little bit of thinking this morning. And um, we, we have people from this church on almost every continent in the world right now. I mean, that's how many people are out and about being the hands and feet of Jesus uh, whether they're doing specific mission work or whether they're on vacation or whether they're visiting family or friends, just so many incredible things going on. And lots of things that are even just happening here. We've got phenomenal uh, classes that we've started on Wednesday evening, a new class in the parlor this coming Wednesday night, uh, some activities this week for some prayer for our ladies who are taking place in Fish and Loaves this coming Tuesday evening, and then some prayer on Wednesday night for God to bless those seeds that will be planted that evening. Some time for our dads and other volunteers to take care of the kiddos on Wednesday night while our moms are praying and others are studying. Uh, brand new study on the book of Acts on Sunday mornings. There's so many ways to be in the Word and so many ways to be in one another's lives. It's a time for us as a church to, to be all out, to, to go all out uh, as we are being the hands and feet of Jesus. And this morning, as we uh, get ready to engage a study from the book of Nehemiah, I think it really appropriate for us just to pause and to pray and to ask the Lord to bless our time. So would you, would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank You so much for the blessing of the day. We thank You for this time to be able to be in Your Word. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord, for great books uh, in both the Old and New Testaments that showcase the faith, Father, of those who love You and who love Your Word. And help us, Lord, to, to have a heart that, that longs to imitate uh, that type of faith, Father, in all of our circles of influence. God, we're so grateful for Jesus. And we love You, Lord. And uh, we offer this time up to You through the name of Your Son and our Savior. Amen. Um, I really think it would be wise for us, by the way, to put into our budget one of those life-size uh, cornhole games. I think that would be really, really good. If you saw the video earlier, that was really, uh, really cool. How did you keep people from running up and jumping down into the hole, Monty? How did you do that? That was, uh, that was part of the fun. Okay, thank you. I was just kind of curious about that. Uh, I want to start with a question, and you may think, well, it's kind of a downer question, but just hang in there with me. There's a method behind my madness here. Um, have you ever been disappointed? Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about, oh, I just missed my exit kind of disappointment when you're driving down the road. I'm, I'm talking about a kick in the gut kind of disappointment. For someone maybe that you put all of your trust in just tears your heart out and the pain is so overwhelming that basically all you can do is just you just sit and you just cry maybe even for several days have you ever have you ever experienced disappointment like that have you ever had an expectation that just had you on the edge of your seat and you were so hopeful I just I hope I get that job offer. Or maybe it's, I hope I get the marriage proposal. Or maybe I hear the doctor say, hey, this, 
this treatment plan is working beautifully. Have you ever had an expectation like that? And instead of getting the answer that you hoped for, the exact opposite happened. And you're just so devastated. You can't even eat. Have you ever been part of something that at one time was, was solid and it was secure? A church, for instance, where expectations were clear and people were committed and God was moving in powerful ways only to see people become self-absorbed consumers who talk much more about I than we and you find yourself on your knees in prayer and you're crying out to God to raise up that which has been torn down. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Well, if those scenarios or anything close to those scenarios sounds familiar, then I want you to know that there is a book in the Bible that tells a story of a man who was disappointed, who experienced the weight of broken expectations, who saw what happened firsthand when consumeristic tendencies of people of faith begin to creep into community. Yet through it all, this man never wavered in his commitment to God. The book and the man we talk about these next few weeks, it's Nehemiah. And over the next eight weeks, including today, we're going to study both with hopes of being inspired by the Word of God and by the faithfulness of one of His servants, inspired in a way that moves us to action as we live into a season of incarnation and go all out as we focus on being a church that lives into that which, spiritually speaking, often lies in chaos and in disarray. So we begin today by studying the background of Nehemiah. And to do that, we need to understand the context. So if you're new to the Bible... Nehemiah is the 16th book in the Old Testament. So just start at the beginning and go forward 16 books. It's right after the book of Ezra. You can pull it up on your phone if you would like. Just log into our guest portal uh, here through our wireless internet access and go to BibleGateway.com. You can access the book of Nehemiah there. If you don't have a Bible, Please don't be embarrassed. Every person in this room at one time or another had to get his or her first Bible. So if you don't have one, we have some Bibles in the pews. You can just take one of those or just lean over and say to the person next to you, hey, I don't have a Bible, but I would like one. And they'll make sure before you leave here that you get one. But don't be embarrassed by that. So if you have your Bibles or if you have access to online, your online Bible, go ahead and go to the book of Nehemiah. Let's set the stage a little bit about what's happening historically and contextually with this book. Now, at one time, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, those two books were actually one book. It was the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And so in 587 B.C., 
the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem and they also destroyed the temple. And they took many, many thousands of Jewish people into captivity. Um, and so about 50 years pass when that event occurred. And then Ezra and Nehemiah re-engages the story of Israel and reports what occurs as some of those who had been in captivity begin to radically reassess Israel's identity and their relationship to God as they begin to make their way back to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild what others had destroyed. So Ezra, Nehemiah, features three key leaders. Zerubbabel is the first, and we read about him in Ezra chapters 1 through 6. Ezra is the second, makes sense, right? book about Ezra seems like it would feature someone named Ezra, particularly in Ezra chapters 7 through 10. We read a, read a lot about him. We'll also read about him in the book of Nehemiah. And then there's Nehemiah. We read mostly about his life in chapters 1 through 7, but there's some follow-up in some of the later chapters, and we'll get to those throughout the course of this study. Now, these three leaders have three purposes. And one of the things that's fascinating as we look at these individuals is how much their stories parallel one another. So Zerubbabel uh, led the rebuilding of the temple. Ezra restored community or rebuilt community as they re-engaged uh, or reinstituted the law of Moses. And Nehemiah leads the rebuilding of the city walls. We'll read more about that here in just a bit. So these three leaders also experience other parallels. And I like what Mark Thronvier points out in his commentary. All three successfully completed their missions despite opposition. I want you to think about that. What happens every time people of God begin responding to the Spirit of God? What's a guarantee? Is it not opposition? We see it all the time, right? We see it here. For all three of the completion of their task also was marked by a great assembly, and we'll explore that a little bit later in our study of Nehemiah. There's also three progressions that take place in the lives of each of these individuals, Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. There is a return to Jerusalem under divinely prompted authority of the Persian crown. The Babylonians are still under control. The same Babylonian crown that took Israel into captivity. There's also consistent opposition to their divine calling. As they start to get traction, they face a lot of opposition. And then there's victory over opposition with divine aid. Now, I want you to notice as you look at those three things that are up there on, on screen, these three progressions, do you see a similar word through each of those paragraphs? You see the word divine start to pop? And so this is what's so fascinating to me as I engage the book of Nehemiah. It's, it's not really a book about what Nehemiah did for God so much as it is a book about what God does through Nehemiah and others to position his people and those around them to find hope and to live with purpose. Now, church, I'm going to ask you to hold on to that phrase. It is going to become extremely important to us as a church over the next many, many months 
and possibly even years. Find hope, live with purpose. I want to invite you please to say that with me. Find hope, live with purpose. I have much, much more to say about this as our series progresses. Let's engage the Word of the Lord. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted And I prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant of love with those who love Him and keep His commandments, let Your ear be attentive and Your eyes open to hear the prayer Your servant is praying before You day and night for Your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and the laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands... And then even your exiled people who are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there. And I will bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people who you redeem with your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering Your name, give Your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So we'll start here and then we'll back up and revisit some of the other verses in just a moment. This man, the one whom Nehemiah requested that the Lord would give him favor as he goes before, this man is King Artaxerxes, who is the king of Persia. Now, the relief that you see on screen most likely is Darius the Great, but one of the things that this shows us is the pomp and the circumstance that was very much part of the Persian court. You see, by worldly standards, by worldly metrics, Artaxerxes would have been a a, a very important man. And he could decide life or death 
for those who were around him. And, and though it seems that there's not any animosity between Artaxerxes and Nehemiah, we have to keep this in mind. Nehemiah is not in this relationship by choice. He's a captive of the Babylonian Empire. He's trusted because he's the cupbearer of the king, but he's still unable to exercise his individual rights in the king's court, but he's serving at the king's pleasure. But I love how one particular commentator, Charles Fincham, I love how he captures a subtle insight into Nehemiah's faith. He writes the following, In the eyes of Nehemiah, with his religious approach, Artaxerxes was a man just like any other man. The Lord of history makes decisions, not Artaxerxes. So we return to the text. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble. They're in disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down. The gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And for some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. So anytime I read texts, I love to look for those first things that just jump out of the text at me or, or the actions or the attitudes of those key characters that are listed in the text. And I see several responses from Nehemiah, responses that I believe are worthy of imitation. The first response that I see when I read this text is, is Nehemiah just simply lays everything before God. Emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, he lays everything before the Lord. And we're going to find ourselves in our own Nehemiah moments. That's going to happen to us individually. It's going to happen to us as a family, those broken expectations, those times when everything just kind of seems smashed up against the rocks. It can happen in neighborhoods. You know what? It can even happen in churches. You may remember a few months ago in the month of March that I shared some statistics with you regarding churches of Christ. I just want to refresh your memory on some of these stats from 2006 to about 2016, some 58 Church of Christ conferences congregations closed every year current average sunday morning attendance among churches of christ in the united states is about 94 people 54 percent have 34 people in attendance on sundays this is a graph that probably looks familiar to you and this shows from 2016 projecting out to about 2049 if and I said this back in March, but if there are no changes in our current trajectory, what you see on screen is best case scenario. Approximately 55% of people in churches of Christ between now and then will die or they will leave within the next 30 years. And you see this graph that's up on screen, if there are no changes in our current trajectory. And again, that's a big if. This is best case scenario. 57% of our churches will close their doors in the next 30 years. Now here's the deal. It's kind of our Nehemiah moment. What are we going to do? How are we going to respond? We're not 
in ruins, but we do have some major foundational issues. The enemy's working nonstop to take our hearts captive. And, and some folks are going to transition to other kingdom outposts, but some folks are just going to transition out. And they're not going to return. I believe there is something in these opening verses of Nehemiah that is worth imitating. And by that I, I primarily mean laying everything before God. If we have any desire for revival, if we have any hope for reaching the unsaved, if we have any desire to restore in our churches and in our homes and in our neighborhoods that which Satan has in so many cases so masterfully torn down, Church, we have got to be a people who are committed to laying everything before God. Tears, prayer, fasting, great places to start. Not our only responses, but surely, surely a great place to begin. Then I said, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. So here's another response that I see in Nehemiah that I think is worth imitating. Nehemiah is prayerful. Prayer full. He wept and he fasted and he prayed. And, and we don't know, based on these first four verses, exactly what he prayed, but I, I think it's safe to say as we examine the first four that, that perhaps we can infer that his prayers were, were possibly groans. Maybe they were whispers. Possibly even unintelligible ripples just from the, the pain that he feels on behalf of his people and the God that he loves. And these, these groans, these whispers over the, the days that he's praying and the nights that he's praying, they begin to create clarity in his mind as he moves from confusion to confidence, from, from pain to a plan, from brokenness to boldness. Nehemiah prays day and night to the great and awesome God of covenant love. And he asks for nothing for himself except one thing. He asks that God would hear his prayers. And then there's this beautiful, powerful shift. He immediately begins to pray for others. Day and night, he prays for others. Now, that's a, that's a wow moment. Because I want you to think about this. How, how might that impact our many interactions and possibly even our disagreements 
if we prayed for others. And the only thing that we ask for ourselves is that God will hear and honor our prayers. I think this is worthy of imitation. The text continues the last part of verse 6. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted wickedly, very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, the laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, and this is such beautiful imagery, I will gather them from there. And I will bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and by your mighty hand. I see another response here. A response that I hope and pray that we will choose to own into our, our hearts. Nehemiah put it all before God. Nehemiah was prayerful, but he is also confession all. And I realize that confession all is not a word, and it's probably not even a grammatically correct phrase, but I like it. Nehemiah doesn't look for, nor does he offer any excuses. He doesn't rush into solutions without first acknowledging his part and what got them to where they are. He prays prophetically on behalf of his people, preparing the way for revival that we will be studying a few weeks from now. And in the midst of brokenness, when life has you smashed against the rocks, when those expectations aren't met and you don't even know which way is up, confessing all is unquestionably the right move. Otherwise, our secrets begin to take root. And as they take root, there springs up from those secrets that which ultimately becomes a canopy over our hearts. And if left unchecked, it becomes so dense that the light can no longer penetrate. And we find ourselves in a really, really bad place. Nehemiah was convicted through his weeping and fasting and praying of a need to add confession to the mix. And he continues, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. As I read this, I see a response here, and I tried so hard to, to find the, the words that kind of capture the essence of this response. But, but I, I believe that Nehemiah's response here is, is being person-able. Person-able. You may be thinking, okay, Greg, that's really enough with the cute phrases. What's going on here? Have you had a really bad week? No, it's actually been a great week. 
But I think it's important to note that we understand there is a progression that unfolds here. Nehemiah begins with weeping and fasting and praying. And these spiritual disciplines begin to solidify a night and day prayer vigil. And that prayer vigil opens the door to confession. And the man who has, now get this, the one who fills the cup of the king, this man has emptied himself of self so that he can be an open vessel, empty, ready, willing to be filled through God's power, to be convicted, and to be used by God to fulfill the purposes of God. And here, it's, it's certainly bathed in humility, but he, but he boldly asks God for favor as he prepares to go into the court of Artaxerxes and make a request that could cost him his station. But, but quite frankly, it could possibly cost him his life. Nehemiah wants to be able, through the power of God, to be able, by favor of the king, to be able to go to his people to make them able to restore what their enemy, the same enemy, who is led by the king Nehemiah is about to go before to be able to destroy that, restore that which the enemy destroyed. So we think about this progression that Nehemiah experiences in the midst of great devastation. Really, I think it's safe to say uh, one of those broken heart moments of his life. And I think we see this response that that. All of what he's done leads up to setting the stage for a faith that is action-able. At the beginning of today's lesson, I asked you, have you ever been disappointed? That kick-in-the-gut type disappointment. The kind where someone you put your trust in just tears your heart out and the pain is so overwhelming. You just sit and you just maybe cry, possibly for days. Have you ever experienced that kind of disappointment? I ask, have you ever had an expectation that had you on the edge of your seat and instead of getting the news you hoped for, you got the exact opposite? And you're just devastated, so devastated that you can't even eat. I ask, have you ever been part of something that at one time was solid and secure and then the pronouns begin to shift from we to me and you find yourself on your knees in prayer crying out to God to raise up that which has been torn down? I ask, have you ever been in a situation like that? Some of us may not have been in those kinds of situations or anything similar, but many of us have And church, this is why this message is so important. Owning this message is so important. Because many, including lots of people in our community, are in similar situations right now. And that is why I am calling us today as a church to pray like we have never prayed before. To confess what needs to be confessed. To mourn what needs to be mourned. 
and to trust in Him who is able to take action, to make us able as a church to go all out in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus as we live into this season of incarnation. Next Sunday, we begin describing the biblical yet very practical ways to do that. In the meantime, I ask you to pray. If you're led to tears, then weep, mourn. If you think confession should be part of the mix, then please don't hang on to those secrets. Find someone you trust. Confess that sin so that we as a body of believers can be emptied of us in order that we might be filled with Him so that we, just like Nehemiah, can go all out. We're going to pray together this morning. Just a few moments, there will be elders at the back of the room who are happy to pray with you. I'll be down here in the front. If there's anything on your heart you want to share with the church, a prayer of healing, a prayer of confession, whatever might be on your heart. Maybe you want to be baptized this morning. Over the past month or so, we've, we've had three four baptisms. God is beginning to move as people want to give their hearts to Him and be all out for Jesus. If that's on your heart this morning, we'll, we'll rejoice with you and celebrate with you as we share that time together. Whatever's on your heart, share it with your neighbor, one of our shepherds, whatever seems to make most sense to you at this time. Let's, let's stand together. Let's sing.